guys. He loves you guys. Um, no, but for real, I love being here. Every single time Ryan asked me to come and, and speak with you guys and, and hang out with you, I love it because there, there's just something special about this place in this atmosphere and what God's doing here, and I, I don't want you guys to take advantage of it um, because it's special. So let me encourage you to jump in if, if, if you've just kind of been coming casually, checking it out. You know, I just I sit in a row. No, I mean, roll up your sleeves and contribute here because God is up to something good. And, and trust me, you will grow in your relationship with God whenever you serve. So uh, let me just offer that to you, challenge that. Um, now, we're in the series on the fruits of the Spirit. And, uh, and when I was in high school, I really did not understand the fruits of the Spirit. Like, it was, it was not something, it was not really an, an analogy that the Bible uses that really connected with me. I'm like, why did you choose fruit. Like, it, it just, it didn't make sense in my head. Like, why didn't the authors of scripture say, like, something cooler, like the trophies of the Spirit? Like, whenever you become a Christian and, and you have access to the Holy Spirit, like, you get these, um, you have access to these cool things in there, and, and they're trophies, but fruit? Like, that just seems so lame. Like, why would you call them fruit? Or, or why can't we um, have them be, like, karate belts? Like, the, the, the more mature we get in our faith, we just kind of level up until we're a black belt in the fruits of the, in, in the Spirit. Um, but I believe that there's a very intentional reason why the authors of Scripture, why Jesus himself even used this analogy of fruit. Um, in John chapter 15, Jesus s- describes us as a branch and him as a vine. And he says, if you stay connected to the vine, that branch, which is us, will produce much fruit. See, a branch, just if we were to go outside to the nearest tree, cut off a branch, and let it lay there for a week, it's not going to produce anything. It's not going to produce leaves, let alone fruit. And the reason that they use, um, the authors of Scripture use this analogy of the fruits of the Spirit, one, because we can't produce it on our own. This has nothing to do with us and our ability, and, um, but it just has everything to do with us staying connected to the vine, us staying connected to Jesus. And when we do that, he will bring about much fruit in our lives. And so I hope that's a little bit of clarity to you because when I was in high school, it just did not make sense to me. Like fruit, it's kind of lame, but uh, the authors of scripture use that because um, Jesus and the apostle Paul wants us to see that, um, that it's something great that can happen, but we need to stay connected with Jesus every step of the way. So um, that being said, the fruits of the spirit, let me quickly cover them Love, joy is what you guys have already covered so far. Today we're going to talk about peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all in the weeks to come. But today I want to zoom in on peace because we live in a world that is not very peaceful. It's not very peaceful. There's a lot of... Um, so so I, I actually think the best way to, to really understand peace is to look at what it is not. Um, to look at the opposite of peace. And really, if you, I, I feel like the authors of Scripture show us that the opposite of peace is anxiety. Anxiety. Like, I just, I have this restlessness about me. I just, I can't sleep at night. I'm, I'm always worried. I'm stressed out. That's not peace. And so I, I want to zoom in on this um, text found in Philippians uh, Chapter four. If you got your if you got your Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Philippians chapter four. And here, Paul gives us some great insight on how we can have peace in our lives. And he even mentions this word of anxiety in there. 
and we can see how to overcome anxiety and to experience peace. So um, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so I want to camp here for just a little bit. This is a very, very important text, and, uh, and I, I just kind of want to tiptoe through it. And again, context Philippians, Paul is writing this from prison. Okay, and one of the reasons that Philippians is one is my probably my favorite book in the Bible is because how in the world can you be in prison but yet project so much joy and peace into the people that you're writing to? But Paul's in prison, and here in verse four he says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I say rejoice. He says it twice. I want to make sure that this sinks in to to, to the readers, to to the readers in Philippi and the readers of us today. Rejoice, Paul. What in the world do you have to rejoice about? You're in prison. You got no family, you, got, you don't have a wife, you don't have kids, you don't have a retirement account that one day you can just coast through life. What in the world do you have to rejoice about? Okay, and let's contextualize it for us. Some of you in this room today, you're anxious. What in the world do I have to rejoice about, Paul? I hate school. My grades aren't that good. I feel like I'm going to be single forever. My parents... They're, they're having a really, they're hitting a really rough patch in their marriage right now. I, I, I'm struggling financially. Whatever the case may be, what in the world, Paul, do I have to rejoice about? Yet Paul is saying, hey, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And, and a lot of the Christian life following Jesus is exactly this. You know what? I don't feel like rejoicing right now. Life hasn't given me a whole lot to rejoice about, but I'm going to force myself to rejoice. I'm going to force myself to come in here to church and, and sing out praises to God. That's a whole lot of what the Christian life is all about. I don't just worship God when I feel it, but I worship God until I feel it. See, if you just let your emotions roll your worship for God, you're going to worship, your, your worship to God is going to be very narrow. It's going to be inconsistent. So as Christians, a lot of the Christian life is like it's, it's just saying, you know what, God, I don't feel this right now. I'm not in a situation I want to be. I'm anxious. I'm losing sleep at night. But I'm going to worship you anyway because you deserve my worship. See, this is why I'm scared for a lot of you guys that miss church a lot. Because you're standing on ground that is not solid. And, and it's not, Jesus, don't, don't hear me out. Jesus is not up there taking attendance, saying, okay, Billy has been here. Um, okay, Stacy, Marshall, you've been here three weeks in a row. Gold star for Marshall. No, that's not how God works. It's not how he operates. But we need to continually surround ourselves with people who are going to encourage us. We're going to say, hey, man, I know that you're going through a rough time, but just brush it off because God loves you. He's got you in his hands, and everything's going to be okay. We need to surround ourselves with people who are going to say, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say Rejoice. He goes on in verse, in, in verse 5 here. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Some commentators, um, Bible scholars, suggest that maybe graciousness is even the best English equivalent to, for, from the Greek here. So what he's saying is, is a, what's your reputation like? Are you known as reasonable? Are you known as gracious? Both people inside the church here and in your school, in your neighborhood, what's your reputation like? Do they say, man, 
that, that person is the most gracious person. Every single time someone does them wrong or does them dirty, they, they just brush it off and say, hey, you know what? I love you. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it because um, I love you. See, Christians, we should be the hardest people to offend on the face of the planet. But if you look on social media, you look on the World Wide Web, you see a lot of Christians get angry real fast whenever their feelings get hurt. Paul says you need to let your reasonableness and graciousness be known to everybody. That should be one of the first things that they think of whenever they hear your name. So what is your reputation like? Your life should ooze peace. Hey, you know what? I, I know you owe me $20, and you're probably not going to give it back, but you know what? Don't worry about it. Um, let's, just, let's just be at peace. People should look at your life and say, wow, I don't know what they got, but they are so peaceful. I just, I, I, I want to be a part of it. Teach me whatever you got, because I need me some peace in my life. Quick to forgive, hard to offend. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, this, this puzzles me, because why does Paul command us to do not be anxious about anything? Why would he command us to do that? Because we have control over it. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that you don't have control over your anxiety. You do. And Paul's and scripture lays out kind of a, a, a formula, a strategy of how we can experience peace in our lives. Now, don't, I don't want to dumb down um, mental illness or anything like that because that is a very, very real thing. And if you're someone um, where depression um, and just not just circumstantial anxiety, if that really grips your life, let me encourage you to seek good, godly um, counsel on that. And, and there's people here at the church that would love to walk with you through that. Um, but a lot of us, we just, we just struggle with circumstantial anxiety. Like, um, man, I, everybody probably felt anxiety on the first day of school, just sleeping in all summer. And then this is the way I was always on the first day of school. I'd walk in there, we'd get a syllabus or something, and it'd be like, oh, my gosh, I, I, feel, my, I feel just my nerves getting in my throat, and I'm, I, I can't handle this. I can't wake up every day. I can't complete. I'm, it's like my brain just shut off for the past three months. I can't remember what two plus two is, and I am freaking out. That's, that's the way that my mind would work, and I would experience some serious circumstantial anxiety when it came to school. And Paul tells us here, do not be anxious about anything. Not some things, not most things. Like, hey, it's, it's okay for you to be anxious about these things, but not so much about these things. He says, no, in everything, do not be anxious. The Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is near. He's here. He's in you and he's in me if your faith is in Jesus. I believe one of the reasons that Paul is so firm in his words here is because our worry, our anxiety makes God look bad. To the non-Christian, they see me worrying, they see me upset, they see me stressed out, and they say, wait, aren't you, aren't you a Christian? Isn't your life surrendered to Jesus? Does your God not care about you? Is he not in control? Does he not want to help you? See, whenever we allow our anxiety just to rule our lives and hold the remote control, it makes our God look bad. And you've got to know that you have a God that cares about you, that he loves you, that he, he met your ultimate need by dying for your sins on the cross. That's how much he cares for you, and that's how much he loves you. 
See, I want to I wanna break it down for a second here on why we are anxious. I have a, I have a graphic that I brought with me um, that helps us see if we can throw it up here. Um, and I, I, I did a lot of studying on um, just psychi- from different psychiatrists and counselors, and, and wh- a lot of what they have to say is that our anxiety is driven by a fear. So identify the fear that's driving your anxiety. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and you just experience anxiety, the fear that, that you're going to get dumped. Like, I just have this fear that he or she is just, um, that, that they're going to dump me. Okay, well, there's a fear, or there's a lie that's driving that fear. What's the lie? Well, maybe they don't, they don't care about me as much as they're telling me they care about me. They don't love me as much as they say that they love me. And so there's a fear that drives our anxiety, and under that there's a lie that is driving it all. And the only way to combat a lie is by spraying it down with biblical truth. That is the only way that you and I can begin to experience freedom from some of our anxiety and ultimately experience peace as we walk throughout this life. We need to saturate our lives with this book. God, there's a constant echo in this book, as we're going to discover here in a few moments, that God knows exactly what he's doing. He is in absolute control, and you belong to him. But quickly, Romans 12, 2, just to reiterate this idea of, of spraying truth over our lives, he says, Paul says in another letter in the, to the Romans, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the what is the will of God, that I'm sorry, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what Paul's saying here is, hey, there's a pattern that's going on in this world, and it's a pattern of anxiety, it's a pattern of fear, it's a, it's a pattern of believing lies. Do not be conformed to it. As Christians, we're, we're called to break free from that pattern and renew our mind. How do you be transformed? By renewing of your mind. I love you, but I'm compelled to share with you, there's a lot of people that sit through church their entire lives and never get transformed. A lot of people sit in rows just like you're doing week after week after week, and they're never transformed because they fail to renew their minds with truth. They, they, they fail to uproot the fear and the lies that they're believing about their identity, about their future, and, and anxiety just continues to grip their lives as the years pass by, and God does not want that for your life. So in order for us to experience freedom from anxiety, to experience peace in our life, we got to renew our minds with truth. Now quickly, as, as I kind of put on my high school cap um, this week as I was studying and thinking, I'm only five years out, it's really not that big of a deal, but um, as I put on my high school cap and, and was thinking, man, what, in the, what did I struggle with in high school? What, what lies perhaps do you guys believe in high school that's causing anxiety in your life. And I got two, two lies that I brought with me here that I believe most of us um, struggle with when it comes to our anxiety. And the first one is, I am what I do. I am what I do. Like, that, that's a lie that we believe. If you're a football player, you are not a football player. That is not your identity. You cannot afford to believe that. If you're um, a basketball player, if you're in any 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 sort of athlete, fill in the blank, a lot of what we believe is I am what I do. When I was in high school, I was 
a wrestler. I poured my life into the sport of wrestling. And then one day that got ripped out from under me. And I had an identity crisis because I had no idea who I was outside of the sport of wrestling. And so you got to find out what your identity is. And today, if your faith is in the person of Jesus, let me show you what your identity is. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John tells us, But to all who received him, him as in Jesus, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's your identity. You are a child of God. You are the child of the Most High God, the, the God that breathed the stars into existence. If your faith is in Jesus, he gave you the right to be adopted into his family. So Marshall, the, the, the critical error that I had in my thinking, in my identity, is that I thought that I was a wrestler. That's who I was. Well, I, I needed to correct my thinking. I needed to renew my mind with the truth that I was a child of God who happened to wrestle. And so whatever you do, whatever extracurricular activity you do, if you're in the band, um, if, you're, if you do speech and debate, if you're a cheerleader, whatever the case may be, you've got to know that you are a child of God. That is the core of who you are. That there, there, is, there is nothing else that is more important in your life than that. I am a child of the Most High God who happens to be in the band. I'm a child of the Most High God who happens to participate in speech and debate. I'm a child of the Most High God who happens to do anything else in this life. One day, if you become a teacher, I'm a child of God who happens to teach students. I'm a child of God who happens to be an engineer. That is the most important thing about you. I cannot stress this enough. If you want to experience peace in your life, you have to get to the, to the basics. And the basics is that whenever you put your faith in Jesus... He adopts you into his family, and you become a child of the Most High God. The second lie, if we can go back a slide, the second lie that we believe, um, I believe, I, as high schoolers, and not just as high schoolers, this carries um, with us throughout, um, throughout our lives, is I do not know if God can be trusted with my future. I do not know if God can really be trusted with my future. One of the quotes that I've been clinging to lately says that, God takes full responsibility for the life that is fully surrendered to him. God takes full responsibility of the life that is fully surrendered to him. So what that, that says to me is that God, again, God who is able to do anything that he wants, from everlasting to everlasting, he has decrees that he has put forth in this planet, and nothing can thwart that. So what that says to me is that, man, I'm... God's going to take full responsibility of my life, make sure that he gets me to where I need to be in life if I'm just fully surrendered to him. I'm not going to try to force my steps to make sure that I get into the right school, that I date the right people, because that's what a lot of people want to do. They say, hey, God, you know, I, 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 I kind of trust you, but I want to make sure that I don't get left here in the dirt. So I'm just going to force, force my way and then hope that you follow me. You've got to know that Jesus is a great leader, He's a bad follower. You're going to be frustrated if you ask God, hey, follow me, follow me. These are my plans, Jesus. Follow me. No, no, no. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be upset, and you're going to miss out on the peace that God has for you in your life. I want to read to you a passage from Matthew um, chapter 6 on just to show us how God can be trusted. 
with our future and everything that exists in our lives. Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus' words. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. There's our word. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. and They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you should be anxious about adding a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies in the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, who was a very wealthy king in the, in the Old Testament, very rich king, yet even Solomon, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Wow. Jesus is saying, hey, notice the birds in the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them every single day. They don't stow away in barns. They don't, they don't again, what context here, in the first century, there was no refrigeration. There wasn't, they didn't have pantries of mac and cheese and PB&J where they can just go like, oh, my, my belly's a little hungry. I'm just going to go and see what mom left me in. There was no refrigeration. So people... They did not know what they were going to eat that day. They had to go down to the market. They had to scrap the money together. And so people were really stressed out about food. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't stress about that. Aren't you so much more valuable than birds? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them every single day. He can be trusted with your future. So be at peace knowing that God is in absolute control, that he takes care of his kids. Or what about the lilies in the field? Notice how they are just clothed beautifully, yet the, yet the most wealthy kings of, in history did not be, were not clothed as beautifully as they, but yet aren't you more valuable than them? So Jesus is saying only like non-children of God, he uses this, this Gentiles, uh, this word Gentiles, and so what, what, what that means for us today, because we're all Gentiles, we're not Jews. So non-children of God, they should be the ones stressing out. They should be the ones like, man, how am I going to figure out this life? It's, is tomorrow really going to come? And, and are, are, is everything going to be okay? Should, should I go to this school? Should I not go to that school? Should I get this job? Should I not get this job? Should I buy this car? Listen, your heavenly father loves you. You are a child of his, and he can be trusted. Flipping back to Philippians, because we've got a little bit more ground to cover. Flipping back to Philippians um, chapter 4, verse 6. Again, he says, the Lord is at hand, but do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. This is a big verse here. Let your requests be known to God by prayer and supplication. See, Paul is saying that you and I need to talk about the serious issues that are causing anxiety in our lives. 
We need to talk to God. We need to bring before God the serious issues that are causing anxiety in our lives. See, what the, the type of prayer that Paul is talking about here is, is probably not what you and I think about whenever you and I think about prayer. Whenever you and I think about prayer, we probably think, okay, dinner table, um, you know, dear Jesus, thank you for this food, be with mom and dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, allow me to, you know, drop a triple-double tonight or throw a touchdown pass, whatever the case may be. But typically, whenever we think of prayer, it's casual and inconsistent. Can we be honest with ourselves? When we pray to God, it's casual and inconsistent. This type of prayer that Paul's talking about here is saying you need to cry your heart out to God about the serious issues that are causing anxiety in your life. This word supplication, it means to beg. Beg God. God, this issue, I'm losing sleep over it. I'm sure, I'm, it it's got me tempted to run to all sorts of unhealthy avenues to help calm this anxiety. But God, I need you. I need you to do something about this. In order for us to experience peace, we have to invite God into the situation by engaging him in real conversation. Invite God into the situation by engaging him in real conversation. You got to know that you, <laughs> you can't offend God. Sometimes we have to have really... It's okay to scream at God. It is. If you're frustrated, it's a relationship. It's any, like any other relationship. In order for my wife and I to have a healthy relationship, whenever she's mad at me, she's got to tell me that she's mad at me. How else am I going to know? When I'm mad at her, I've got to tell her that I'm mad at her. And that way we can work through it and that we can grow together. And so in order for you and I to grow in our relationship with God, we have to pour our heart out to God. Again, supplication means to get on our knees and beg, God, I got these issues in my life. I can't sleep. I have no peace. And there's a temptation to run towards all these unhealthy places and spaces to, to, to help soothe this anxiety. Other translations, depending on what version of the Bible, um, we, we read the ESV here, but um, other translations of the Bible, like the NIV, in this verse it says, um, but in everything by prayer and petition, make your request be known to God. Anybody have t currently taking or have taken government class? Yeah, okay. So you should, oh, maybe you haven't go gone there yet, but you should know what a, what a petition is. A petition is a formal written request, typically signed by many people, appealing to an authority for a cause. So our um, United States, we have something called We the People Petitions. We the people petition. So basically, um, what this is 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 if there's a if there's something about our country that's causing um, you to have anxiety or um, it's disturbing your quality of life or you just want something to be done about that, you can you can draft up a we, a we the people petition. And if it gets a hundred thousand signatures in thirty days, the government will give it serious consideration. And just so you know, there's been some pretty ridiculous ones. There was a um, deport Justin Bieber petition. <laughs> Apparently, Justin Bieber was really disrupting some people's quality of life, and they said, we want this guy out of here. He's from Canada, in case you didn't know. We want him to go back north. He's disturbing our quality of life. Um, and so that's just a silly one. There was another one. If you remember back in 2012, I don't know how old you guys were, but 2012, um, our United States was, was shaken because Hostess went bankrupt, which meant no more Twinkies. 
It was a sad day in America. And so there was a petition that was drafted up that said, um, that, that was begging the, the, the government to nationalize the, the, um, the, the Twinkie industry, which meant, like, government, you need to seize control of Twinkie manufacturing so that way the American people can get their Twinkies. They were so, people were, were so desperate to get their Twinkies that they were willing to go great lengths to get um, signatures so that way the government could give this serious consideration. But here's the point I'm trying to get at. If, if people are willing to spend that much time about silly issues that they want to see done, why can't you and I spend half that much time talking to God about the serious issues that are causing massive amounts of anxiety in our lives? If people are willing to spend that much time on just silly issues, why can't you and I come before our Heavenly Father that loves us and pour out our hearts about the things that are going on in our lives that are causing massive amounts of anxiety? See, petitioning, whenever we petition to God in our life, it's saying, you know, God, I'm serious. I, I, I really want you to do something about this particular situation in my life. And so I'm, I'm even going to go to great lengths of writing it down. I'm going to call other people, have them sign off on it, and I'm going to slam it on your desk. Say, God, I want you to do something about this. And what you got to know about me is this past month, I've petitioned my heart out to God personally. I've been in a, in a just in, in a season of uncertainty about my job. And there's been different jobs that have kind of appeared on the horizon. And I have literally petitioned to God. I've gone in my prayer journal and said, hey, God, I want that job. Will you please give it to me? Will you please, God, give me this job? You know that I want it. It seems like it'd be a great fit. I want this job. God, please, will you give this to me? I called up all of my just very spiritually mature, godly friends. And I'm like, hey, will you please sign off on this? Will you, pre- will, will you please petition with me that God would give me this job? And unfortunately, the particular God, the, the particular job that I want, at least at this time, it doesn't look good. It does not look good, but um, when you and I petition about the things in our lives that are causing us anxiety, it forces us to recognize two things, God's ability and God's authority. And as high schoolers, you've got to recognize that God is able and that he is authoritative. We call this sovereignty, that he rules over everything. As I stated before, that he, there is nothing that has happened in human history that was not in his control. And so whenever we put our request before God, say, God, you are in control of everything. You are able to do anything. Will you please act in this way on my behalf? It forces us to recognize that. And and as high schoolers, you have to learn that God is able and that he is authoritative. We We serve a God that controls everything. We serve a God that can do miracles. We serve a God that can give you a better future if you don't like the way your life is headed right now. We, we serve a God that can help get you into college, even if your grades are poor. We serve a God that can restore a marriage even after the divorce papers are signed. We serve a God that can do incredible things. And that's why we have to pour our heart out to him and ask him to move on our behalf. We serve a God that can move mountains. But if we have to get, but we have to get extremely serious about engaging God in conversations, guys. 
So here's what I want to challenge you guys with. Um, is if there's something that's causing you anxiety, today, write it down. If it's a number of things, write it down and put it on God's desk. Saying, God, I want you to do something about this. I really want you to move it in this way. I'm not guaranteeing, like, like, like I just stated, I'm not guaranteeing that God, this is not some magic wand that, make, that forces God to act, that forces his hand on anything. That's not what I'm saying. Because like I've stated, it doesn't look like I'm going to get the job that I so desperately wanted. But there is a great exchange that happens whenever we petition and beg and pour our heart out to God. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. He says, in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you pray and petition with thanksgiving in your heart, thanksgiving, again, remembering, looking back at the fact that Jesus met our ultimate need, so, so we should be thankful in our praying and, and petitioning. But when we look back, there's a great exchange that happens that says, hey, I hear you. I love you. And in return, even if I don't act in the way in which you want me to act, in return, you will get this peace. And let me tell you, the human mind will not be able to understand it. People are going to look at your life and you say, how in the world are you at peace right now? Don't you see that, that life is crumbling around you? Don't you see that you have these great goals and these great ambitions and, and your God didn't make it happen for you? He says, listen, I know that, that things didn't plan out the way that I want. In high school, I wanted with all my heart to be a state champion wrestler. It just didn't happen. In fact, it was outside of my control. I didn't even get a shot my senior year. And I was so frustrated and so angry at God, and I just poured out my heart to God. And eventually he just gave me this peace. Say, hey, you know what, Marshall? I love you. I know that I didn't move in the way in which you wanted me to move. But I'm going to give you my peace. And this peace will not make sense to human minds. See, Paul's peace was rooted He's writing this. Paul's peace was rooted in the person of Jesus. Every morning in his prison cell, he had something to look forward to, being with Jesus. And here's what you got to know about peace. Is that peace is not about what you go through, but it's all about who you're going through it with. Peace is not about what you go through. You can go through some of the, unfor some of the most unfortunate circumstances that this world has to offer, but you can still have peace in your heart if you're going through it with Jesus. It's not about what you go through. It's all about who you go through it with. At the end of verse 5, it said, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And that's so important. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. You know that, that fear not is the most frequent command in all the Bible? Fear not or do not be afraid, depending on what version of the Bible you prefer. It appears about 150 times. And usually whenever God says, fear not or do not be afraid, it's quickly followed by, by, for I am with you. For I am with you. Do not be afraid, Marshall. Do not be afraid because I am with you. Therefore, the answer to our anxiety is to recognize the fear. Remember the graphic that, that anxiety is driven by fear, that's driven by a lie. And the only way to combat that lie is with truth. And you've got to know that the truth is that God is absolutely with you. He is with you. 
That's the best thing I can give you to help fight anxiety in your life is that God is with you, that you're a child of God, and that he can be trusted with your future. Peace is not about what you go through, but it's all about who you go through it with. Um, I got a dog. His name's Tyson. Um, he's a good boy. <laughs> he's a great boy. Um, he can be very, very ornery sometimes. Um, but the, the most trouble that I have ever with Tyson is whenever I'm not home, he's, whenever I'm not home, and it, and it thunderstorms out. I don't know how many dogs out there that you, you may have that thunderstorms just freak your dogs out. Um, whenever Michelle or my wife Michelle or I and I are not home, and it thunderstorms, we know that we're coming home to some pee spots on the rug, to a chewed up door frame, and maybe, depending on how bad the storm is, maybe some, some curtains that were ripped up or something. And so, and so but the crazy thing that, that, that shocks me is, we have gone through much worse thunderstorms whenever we're home with him, and he's cool. He's chill. But whenever he's going through a storm and dad's not there, I'm his dad. I like to call him my, my boy. Um, but if he goes through a storm and I'm not there, he's, he's, he's losing his mind. He doesn't know what to do. He thinks that, that the world is coming to an end. And so I want to encourage you guys tonight that, it's, that peace is not about what you go through, but it's all about who you go through it with. And you've got to know that God is, that, that the Lord is at hand, that God is with you, that if your faith is in Jesus, he adopts you into his family. And he says, I got you. I love you. I can be trusted with your future. Release control and you will have an abundant amount of peace in your life. I want to read to you, this is the, these are the last two verses I have for you as we finish up this passage in, in Philippians. This is Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, finally, but, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, renew your mind with truth. Think about these things. If you're thinking to yourself today, what do I renew my, my mind with? Paul tells us. He gives us about nine of them right there. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and have heard and have seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. The Lord is at hand. The God of peace, not just a piece of God. He didn't just cut out a slice of himself and give it to you. No, no, no. But he himself and of all his fullness the God that defines himself as peace will be with you. He'll throw his arm around you and he'll walk with you. There's uh, kind of a, I don't know if many of you will relate to this, but if you have an iPhone um, and you're iMessaging someone, which means messaging another iPhone, you can turn on these things called read receipts. And I learned that there's this term out there um, called like, Dude, you, you left me on read, which basically means you read the message, but you didn't respond. Like, you left me on read. How many of you have ever got left on read? Maybe you were texting your boo, like, hey, good morning, and they left you on read. Right? That's not cool. Don't leave people on read. I'm guilty of that. Um, but you got to know that God does not leave you on read. If you're his child and you're walking with him, God does not leave you on read. He may not answer in the way in which you want him to answer. He may not act in the way in which you uh, pray and petition to him. 
but he does not leave you on read. That is not who he is. He will come beside you, and he will give you peace. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. With thanksgiving in our hearts, we pray with thanksgiving, God. We know that you took care of our ultimate need, that something had to be done about the sin that existed in the world, that the sin that existed within my own heart. And you wore that on the cross. So, Jesus, I thank you for that. God, I know that there's a lot of anxiety in this room. Things that just stress us out. Uncertainty about our identity. Not knowing about what the future holds. But, God, I pray that we would surrender to you. And in the assurance of knowing that we are a child of the Most High God. That we are significant, accepted, and secure in you. That that I don't need to be a state champion to be significant. I don't need to do anything significant really in this life. As long as I'm a child of God, then I'm okay. I don't need to perform for the people in this room. I don't need to perform and get good grades. I don't need, I don't, I don't, I don't need to, to, to graduate in honors. It's also, all those things are good, but God, I pray that you would break our identity of those worldly things, that our identity would be solely rooted in you and that we are your children. God, I want to pray for the people in this room that do not yet know you, that have not yet made that decision to put their faith in you, not just, not just believe, not just casually believe, but Jesus, you call for trust. You call for us to release the wheel and give it to you and say, God, you can be trusted. We're, we know that we are more valuable than the birds that fly in the air, that the lilies in the field, that God, that you feed us what we need fed. You know our needs. You clothe us because you love us. So God, I pray that in these moments that we would just cry our heart out to you. We would recognize that in only your name that the darkness can truly tremble in our lives, in our hearts, in our families, and that we would continue to, to look to you for peace in all the days of our lives. Lord, we pray this all in your powerful name. Amen.